Well, welcome everybody to Downtown Harbor Church. My name is John. I am the uh, lead pastor around here. Appreciate you guys coming on out. If it is your first time here, we appreciate it. We also appreciate you guys coming out during these sort of somewhat uncertain times. We know a lot of folks are still a little bit hesitant, and so do our at-home audience. Uh, we want to welcome you as well. We hope to see you guys soon when you're feeling ready and able to come on out here and join us. Everything looks great here. You're going to love it. Um, but today we are continuing our series that we are calling Permission to Speak Freely. And if you haven't been with us yet, essentially, we're having one big conversation about the power of our words and the impact that our words can have in the lives of other people and even in ourselves. So this week, as I was kind of preparing for the series or preparing for the message, I was, I was going down memory lane. And I was thinking about this time back in 2013, Adam Duckworth, who's our volunteer coordinator, not here today. Adam Duckworth and I used to work at a different church, very far away, nobody would know it. And, and it, one time he comes into my office and he goes, John, you know, I don't think I've told you this and I've been meaning to, I'm actually working on a book. Now that shocked me because I'd never actually seen Adam read a book, let alone write a book. And so I was excited and I go, really, Tell, this is, I gotta know more about it. What is this, what you, what's going on? And he goes, well, um, it's actually a book of quotes. Now that piqued my interest. I said, so what are we, I mean, we're talking sort of historical quotes, industry leaders, you know, poets, right? Like what kind of quotes are we doing? And he goes, well, not exactly. Um, this is a book of my own quotes. Well, that's interesting. So he's like, you know, I'd actually, I've worked up a couple of mock-ups um, for a couple of these quotes and sort of what the pages would look like. And I have them and I want to show them to you if you want to see them. Now, luckily for you guys, I've saved those. Okay. These are literally the mock-ups from, was it nine years ago or so? And he goes, all right, John, here's sort of the opening quote that I've got. He says, very few people are reasonable people. And I go, okay. All right. I mean, I could sort of see, <laughs> I could sort of see what you're, what you're getting at there. So, uh, what else? What else do you have? Go, oh, okay. How about this? Why does what I do bother you so much? And I go, huh? Okay. Uh, what else? And he goes, all right. Try this one on for size. You can choose not to be offended. I go, all right, stop. We gotta have a conversation because listen, these really sound more like an argument you have with your wife Caitlin than sort of pearls of wisdom for the general public. And he. <laughs> He's like, well, it's interesting you should say that. I actually did have an argument with her, and these are sort of things that I said to her. And I go, well, it shows, okay? <laughs> Why don't we table this idea for just a little bit? But this idea of sort of choosing not to be offended, I always found that to be kind of interesting. And I thought in this series that we're talking about being offended and offending other people, I thought this might be an idea that perhaps we could dig down a little deeper. And so the question that I want us to wrestle around with today is, what do we do when we're offended? Like, what do we personally do when, when someone's words cut us to the core? Or even more broadly, because this would work more broadly, what do we do when their actions hurt us? And for the last two weeks, if you haven't been here, we've been talking about what's our responsibility to not offend other people. All right, we're going to do a couple of things. In week one, we learned that we're going to be quick to listen. We're going to be slow to speak. Last week, James talked to us about the power and the damaging effects of our tongue. And so we know we're going to ask God to help tame this wild animal of a tongue. But what's our personal responsibility when we're offended? And I think a lot of times you hear that and you say, well, what do you, what do you mean what's our responsibility? 
I mean, I'm the victim. I'm the one who's been hurt. I'm the one who's been injured. Why do I have to do anything? Well, according to the scripture, we do have some responsibility. And so that's today what we're going to take a look at. And, and so one of the things that I have noticed in ministry and in life, and perhaps you may have noticed this as well, is that any hurt not dealt with eventually, not immediately, but eventually turns into bitterness. Just like a wound that you don't deal with eventually gets infected. All right? and, and so it's like you got this thing going on with another person. The longer that hurt goes unattended, the bigger the impact it will have in our lives. Paul, who wrote over half of the New Testament, he, he understood sort of the dangers of holding on to hurt. And he said this in Ephesians 4, 26. He says, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. He goes, I know you've been hurt. I know you're angry. You have every right to be hurt. You have every right to be angry because of what they said to you or perhaps because of what they've done to you, but deal with it and deal with it now. He says, don't let the sun go down on that anger, meaning don't let it drag on for days or weeks or months to continue. He says, and do not give the devil a foothold. Essentially, when you don't deal with the hurt in your life, Satan can ultimately exploit it. He'll use that anger, and he'll use that hurt as a foothold in your life to climb higher and higher and higher into your heart. He'll just keep feeding you those hurtful words. Here, take another bite. Ooh, you like that little piggy? Have some more, right? Can you believe what they said to you? Here, have some more of that. I thought they were your friend. Here, have some more. And the longer time passes and the longer we just keep eating those hurtful words, it's just, it's just a small offense, something that may have just been a sarcastic comment, something that may have just been a little side remark in a work meeting. All of a sudden, it's become gangrenous, and it's taken over our lives. So what do we do? How do we deal with the hurt in our lives before it takes over our lives? How do we stop the infection? How do we prevent Satan from getting a foothold in our lives? Well, according to scripture, we basically have two options, okay? We can cover it or we can confront it. So what does it mean to cover it? Let's sort of talk about that one for a second. To cover a sin, that is the theological term, to cover a sin is a concept that we see all over scripture. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. Take a look at what Peter says about this uh, concept. Peter says, 1 Peter 4, 8. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. So at its core, this idea of covering the sins of another means fundamentally that we forgive them out of love. But the reason I chose this concept of covering sins rather than just calling it forgiving, because it's, it's slightly different in a way, is that covering a sin speaks more to the day-to-day -day offenses that we have to adore. Because covering sins of another sort of speaks to this idea that many times, daily perhaps, people are going to offend you with their words, with their actions. And as Christians, according to Scripture, it is a mark of spiritual maturity to just let it go. That's covering the sins. 
Take a look what Proverbs says. Proverbs 19.11. A person's wisdom has made him slow to anger. That's week one. And it is to his glory, it is honorable to overlook an offense. Proverbs also says, hate starts fights, but love covers all sins, essentially. If we as Christians walk around getting offended at everything, and some of us do, we're really only hurting ourselves. Scripture says that it is honorable when you can get to a place in your Christian walk to let things, certain things, just slide off your back. See, covering the sins of another doesn't mean that we excuse what they've done. See, a lot of us don't want to forgive people because we think if I forgive them, we're just excusing bad behavior. That's not what forgiveness is, and that's not what covering sins is. Covering sins doesn't mean that we pretend what they said or what they did didn't actually happen. When you cover the sins of another, it means you show them mercy. You're showing them mercy. Remember what Jesus said about mercy in the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew 5, 7. He said, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And about a year and a half ago, we went over this, and we learned that this word blessed in the original Greek actually means happy. So Jesus is saying, happy are those who live a relationally merciful life. Happy are those that don't hold a grudge. Happy are those that don't seek revenge. Happy are those that don't allow themselves to become bitter. Happy are those who don't become passive-aggressive. Happy are those who forgive. Paul says in Colossians, be gentle and ready to forgive. Never hold grudges. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must, that's a command, so you must forgive others. And we hear this and we go, ah, John, Paul, come on. You don't know what they said to me. Well, you're right. I don't. Nor does he. But based on what he says here, we base our forgiveness on what God has done for us, not on what they've done to us. So with that, we cover their sins because of love. So let's be honest. It's difficult enough to forgive somebody when they apologize to you. Am I right? But how do you forgive someone that doesn't care isn't sorry or doesn't know they hurt you we've all got these people in our lives all right and if you haven't met one yet it's going to happen maybe they're just rude or, or they don't care maybe they don't think that what they did was wrong maybe they don't even know the extent to which they've hurt you with their words so what's our responsibility what do we do in this particular situation how do we handle it well if this is you and it's got to be somebody, because I know it's been me in the past. What we need to do is use what I call crucifixion forgiveness, patent pending, okay? Cru well, okay, so, so think about this for a second. When Jesus was on the cross, do you remember what he prayed? He said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He is forgiving people when nobody is asking for forgiveness. I mean, they are beating him. They are mocking him. They are actively gambling for his clothing, and yet he still forgives them in that moment. I think there's so much that we can learn from that. Because we think, we think, well, I can only forgive if they know they've wronged me. 
But we see Jesus here actively forgiving people who don't know, don't care, haven't asked for forgiveness. No, I mean, we don't read anything in the gospel about people going, uh, forgive me, Jesus, right? This was a huge mistake. We immediately regret this. Okay, no, no, that's not, at least I don't see it in, you know, the four gospels. Sometimes in our own lives, we need to dip into crucifixion forgiveness and just say, I forgive you, okay? You might not be asking for it. You might not know the extent to which, you, you know, you hurt me. <sighs> but I forgive. Why is crucifixion forgiveness so important for us individually and personally? Because in this particular scenario that we're talking about, forgiveness isn't for the offender. It's for you. Sure, it might help relationally. But when you choose to forgive someone, even if they didn't ask for it, maybe, maybe that person's dead and they can't ask for it. When you choose to forgive someone in that situation, it releases you from the past. It heals your pain. It closes up those footholds that Satan loves to exploit. And it enables you to move forward. So, another thing that we struggle with when it comes to sort of being hurt is how do we handle what I'll call repeat offenders, right? What are we supposed to do with the people in our lives who are always just, you know, ruffling our feathers, stepping on our toes, just saying things that always hurt our feelings? What are, what are we supposed to do in that particular situation? Well, Peter, who we've already, already mentioned, who's a, a disciple of Jesus, had this exact question in his mind. I don't know who was bothering him, but he's got somebody in his life. Maybe it's a brother-in-law. We're not really sure, but there's somebody who's just constantly on his case. There's somebody who's always offending him. And so one day when Jesus kind of wrapped up some teaching, he pulled Jesus aside and goes, Jesus, I got a question. Okay, help me with this. Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Like seven times? Does that sound like a good round number, Jesus? Would that work for you? Is that sort of an honorable amount of time to forgive this guy who's driving me crazy? The problem with people, I don't know if you've seen this in your own life, the problem with people is that they're humans. And humans are flawed, which means that they will offend you pretty much constantly, many, many times over and over again. Maybe it's like a parent who just says things and you're just like, ah, okay? Maybe it's a coworker that's constantly taking digs at you. So it's only logical to, to ask, like, how long must I endure this? How long do I have to keep forgiving this person? Jesus, is seven times enough? That seems like a lot to me. Is seven times enough, Jesus? Jesus says, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. So this week I did the math here. Uh, when, I did the, when I say I did it, I asked Alexa to do it. Um, right now, everybody's Alexa at home is going off. Isn't that the worst? Okay, anyway, so I did the math, and she told me that 70 times seven is 490 times. Jesus is like, you got to forgive that person 490 times for the things they're going to do. I did it practically. That's once a month for 40 years. And presumably, he wants us to use that standard with everybody in our lives, which means he's calling us to be forgiving machines. But I was thinking about all of our, you know, real life situations and how we kind of deal with forgiveness and and. And something dawned on me about what Jesus said here. What if we're not only to forgive 490 offenses, 
but we're also to forgive one offense, 490 times. Think about this. If anyone's ever, if you've ever forgiven somebody, let's say, okay, you've forgiven them, they said something, you know, you forgive it, you know, you know, there comes a time in your life when you get triggered. You, you, they, they, maybe they say something, they do something, and, and all of a sudden, it's just like you begin to relive that offense that you've already forgiven. All of a sudden, when you're triggered, it, it be, this, that old offense begins to bubble up to the surface. You start to dwell on it again. All of a sudden, you find yourself reaching back into history. And all of a sudden, it's as though you never forgave that person in the first place. We've all been there. See, when you get tempted to relive an offense that you've already forgiven, we got to go 490 on it. We got to say, I've already forgiven them. Hey, we got to 490, right? We got to keep doing it over and over and over again because we're not God. We can't forgive and forget. And so in our lives, we got to reach back to that 70 times 7, and whenever we're tempted to relive that offense that we've already forgotten, we go, I've forgiven it. I'm letting it go. And the reason I forgave it is because Jesus forgave me. So the first thing we do when we become offended is we lovingly cover the offense. We forgive it. We overlook it. We let it go. But sometimes the most loving thing that we can do is confront it. So one of the most, I'll call it misapplied verses in all of scripture, actually comes from something that Jesus said in Matthew 18. And if you've been around church any length of time, you've probably heard this one before. Jesus one time said, For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. And Christians love to quote this when attendance is bad, right? It's kind of just like, ain't nobody showing up to your Bible study? Well, you know, two or three, two or three, right? Where two or three are gathered, he's here, right? And we're all like, yeah, brother, that sounds great. We love that. We're two or three. Okay, so opening day of DHC, many of you were here, a lot of you weren't, but opening day of DHC five years ago, we were up in the theater. We had almost 200 people in that room. It was out of control. We were waiting for the, you know, the fire marshal to show up any moment. It was insane. Week two, it was like six people. Okay? <laughs> and Adam Duckworth and I, we were by the escalator. We go, well, we've made a colossal error. This is a, we've had a major lapse in judgment with this church. This is not it, right? This would be a perfect time to say, well, you know, wherever two or three are gathered, he's here. Here's the thing. Jesus was not giving us you know, a verse on encouragement when nobody shows up. You know what the context of this is? It's when somebody offends you. Take a look at how this passage begins. Jesus says, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. He then goes through a sort of a forgiveness grid, how, how we can begin to sort of wor uh, you know, work through that offense. But what this passage teaches us is that reconciliation is so important to Jesus that if you do your part to make it right, he will show up to see brothers and sisters come back together. This is a promise that if you have a heart for reconciliation, Jesus' presence will be with you. So let's dig in a little bit deeper here because there is actually a lot that I think we can learn from these sh few short verses. Jesus says, if, if you've been offended, if someone has said something that hurts you, 
The first thing that you need to do is you must go to them. You got to go to them. Now, that goes against our very nature, doesn't it? Because we want to go to everybody else but them, right? You want to go to your parents. You want to go to your sister. You want to go to your coworkers. You want to say, you're not going to believe what this piece of work said to me. Oh, wait, do you, wait, do I tell you what this guy said to me at the office? Wh- wh- why do we do that? What's going on there? I mean, yeah, I think we want sympathy. But I actually think our ulterior motive is that we want to get other people riled up. We want to get them on our side. And I was thinking about this week. Do we actually want to put footholds for Satan in their life as well? She'll try and drag everybody into our mess. Jesus is like, that's absolutely the wrong first step. That's not even a step, but definitely don't do that first, okay? He would say, if you're a follower of mine, you need to go to them first and do it privately. Here's why this is doubly difficult, this idea that you got to go to them. Because our tendency is to wait for them to come to us. It's like, Oh, I'll forgive them. Sure, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'll forgive them. Right, 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 right. When they come crawling on their hands and knees and ask for it, yeah. No, no, I'll forgive them. Absolutely. When they come to me to make it right. But until then, no, no. I'm just going to give them the cold shoulder, right? I'm going to make it awkward for everybody, right? So that when that person and I are in a room, everybody knows that we got a problem. It's not going to work if you're a Christian. It's just not going to work, not according to Jesus, because Jesus is very clear. The offended must go to the offender. Now, before we think that's unfair, right, this is where we really see Jesus taking on the role as the great mediator, because let's not forget that Jesus also commanded that the offender must go to the offended. Remember this verse? We talked about it in week one. Matthew 5, Jesus said, so if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, basically for us, so if you're going to church, all right, and you suddenly remember that somebody has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar and go and be reconciled to that person, which means, and this is important, which means when an offense has taken place, both parties should feel conviction. Both parties should seek reconciliation. And since it's God's will for reconciliation to happen, both parties can feel a certain peace about going to the other person and have a conversation about what took place. So last week, James said, the tongue, it's a small thing, but what enormous damage it can do. See, every single one of us has and will say something that will offend another person. Every single one of us has and will be offended by what someone has to say. C.S. Lewis, who was the great Christian author, once said, everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until he has something to forgive. So, what's the practical? What do you do with a message like this? If it's your first time here at DHC, every single week we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure that you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So a couple of things I just want to put on your radar this week. According to Scripture, based on my understanding, 
It's always more rewarding to resolve a conflict than dissolve a relationship. This is our story with God, right? Because in the Garden of Eden, we offended God. We broke that relationship. And for thousands of years, God chased after us trying to resolve the conflict. He could have just wiped us all out. Start fresh. Instead, he chose to bring reconciliation to our relationship through Jesus Christ. And in the same way in our lives, I just think we got to not be so quick to wash our hands of the people that have hurt us. What would it look like for us to begin to seek resolution in conflict rather than dissolving those relationships? So as we've discussed today, when you've been hurt, we got two choices. We can cover it or we can confront it. Now, I actually think there's a third choice, and it kind of sandwiches in between these two. Now, this one that I'm about to give you um, is not biblical. It's just like my own opinion, so don't go writing this one down in your Bible. You, put it on a you can go put it in a sheet on the back if you want to. All right, but this is this is will save a bunch of your relationships. Trust me, okay? I use this one all the time. Sometimes the best thing that we can do is unfollow it. Let me explain. You probably already know where I'm going with this one. One of my favorite features on Facebook is that you can unfollow people. You remain friends, but you no longer have to see what they post, and they don't know you unfollowed them. Okay. The reason this is such an important feature is that some people post aggravating and annoying things. Amen? Okay? Sometimes, and this is important, sometimes that person's Facebook page and what they say on their Facebook page can be a temptation for you. It would be unwise for an alcoholic to put themselves into a bar. Sometimes it might be unwise for you to continue to expose yourself to something that that person says and posts. If you know it angers you, if it, know it, if it aggravates you, we don't want to give the devil any footholds in our lives if we can avoid it. So sometimes the best thing that we can do is unfollow it. And maybe, maybe even in the real world, there are certain people that you just need to keep a little bit of safe distance from. Because personalities clash. Truth is, we don't have to like everybody. But we do have to love everybody in Jesus' name. And so sometimes the most loving thing that we can do is just keep a safe distance from some people. That's not a problem. So this week as I was preparing for the message, I, I found an incredibly long but interesting study. And these researchers, these scientists, they wanted to find out why do people get offended by what other people say? Meaning, what's happening at a deeper level, at what I'll call a molecular level or a cellular level? What is happening that makes us as humans get so hurt and offended by what others say? And their conclusion was fascinating. Now, before I put it up here, remember, these are not people in ministry because they've used a couple of interesting words. These are scientists. After this enormous study, Here's what they concluded. An offense is a wound, an injury to the soul, an attack to something even more important than the integrity of our body, our image. They concluded that the reason people's words, 
their actions hurt us so much is because it cuts to our core. It challenges us on, on how we see ourselves, on, on how we want others to see us, and how we perceive the world when, 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 they, when they look at who we are. And if this is true, and I have no reason to believe it's not true, then I think our best defense as Christians to not getting hurt by what others say, the best bomb that we can use in our lives if we've already been injured by what others say is to remember our true identity in Christ. Because if it's all about having our identity challenged and injured, then we got to remember what our true identity is. Because nobody can touch this identity. No matter what they say, you're a child of God. No matter what anybody says, you are loved beyond compare. No matter what they say, you were worth dying for on the cross. And no matter what they say, you were forgiven. And because we were forgiven, we will forgive others. Let me pray for you. Dearly Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity that we could come here today, Lord. God, because we're human, I know that we have hurt others and, and we ourselves have been hurt. Those words sting. They cut to our core. They challenge our very identity, even when we didn't even know that was happening, Lord. How powerful that is. God, I pray that everyone today would know who they are in Jesus Christ. I pray that everyone today would know that because of what your son did on that cross, we now have the ability and the power to forgive other people, Lord. Whether it's just shaking it off, or whether it's confronting them and having a conversation, Lord, we know that ultimately you will be in that, and we pray that you are glorified in those relationships. Thank you, God, for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray.